look at Advent and its impact and its meaning for us, so what the coming of God in flesh means, um, but we really felt compelled um, this year that we should just strip things away. What's Christmas most simply? So we've looked at expectation. Uh, we looked last week at, at the family that surrounds Jesus in the genealogy, and this week we look at another simple aspect of Christmas, um, but it might be one of the most important aspects of the Advent season. And so kind of in the spirit of Christmas, uh, I want to give you a Christmas riddle. I'm just going to share it with you first, and, and then once I've shared it, we'll throw it up on the screen, and you can kind of think about it. So here's the Christmas riddle. It's always present, yet seldom found. Light in the darkness, deep gladness unbound. What is it? It's always present, yet seldom found. Light in the darkness, deep gladness unbound. What's always present, but seldom found? What can be light even in the midst of our darkness? What what, what can have deep gladness that's kind of without restraint, it's unbound? The answer is a simple three-letter word, joy. Joy is always present, yet seldom found. It's light in the darkness, Deep gladness unbound. Uh, One of the things that I've noticed about the Advent season is that it provides this regular, routine um, way of just looking deep within ourselves. Uh, Advent has a way of uncovering and unmasking some of the deepest longings of the human heart. And one of the deepest longings of the human heart that gets unmasked, that gets uncovered as the the pretense of our lives kind of unravels is that of joy. It's something that unites every heart in in, in every human. Uh, I've had the opportunity to uh, go to South Africa, to China, to Europe, um, here different places in the States. I've met rich people, poor people, uh, people that speak languages that I can't begin to understand. Uh, just this week, um, I and our Care and Connections minister, Kurt, were in a class, and our professor was a, a, a Russian. His name's Konstantin from Moscow, and he spoke incredible English, but he also prayed in Russian sometimes, and I had no idea what he was saying. But something that unites all of us as human beings is our quest for joy. We're searching for that deep gladness, that that glow that warms, and even amidst the bitterness and the cold of life, it it doesn't fade. It doesn't go away. We want that. We we long for that that joy that's like a a candle that, that no matter how much the wind blows, how much the chaos storms, that it can't be extinguished. You and I long for joy. There may be lots of differences between us, but we long for joy, and so we search for it. We're on a quest for it. We, we see this in the Advent season in our children and grandchildren, nieces and nephews. They think that they get just that one toy, right? That, that they will have the happiness and the gladness. Like they'll come to their parents and they'll open up the, the catalog. And, and one of the things that I don't, I'm not, I'm not happy that Toys R Us went bankrupt, but one of the things that's been good for us this Christmas season is that we didn't get a big book of toys in the mail, right? And so you guys know what that's like when the, when the ads come in and there's page after page after page of all these things and they compel our children to say, if I only had that, I want that. If I could just get that, then I'd be happy. I'd have joy. I'd have gladness. And then what happens? They get the toy. They get the video game system. They get the new phone. They get the new computer. And eventually it breaks. And then with that, so does their joy. 
and their gladness. Uh, some of us have grown up, uh, some of us not, and uh, we look for our gladness in, in people. Uh, we think that if we just had that someone, if we just had the right amount of children, uh, the right person to wake up next to, uh, the right people to work with, then we would have gladness and we would have joy. But then people break our hearts and people disappoint us and people quit and they're gone. And so is our gladness. Some of us put our hope in people that have treated us so well, have walked with us through the days of our lives, but then we know something is inevitable about the people that we love, don't we? Eventually, we all breathe our last. Eventually, we all die. I shared in a sermon series a couple years ago that we're all terminal. And when we look to people to provide our joy, when they're gone, we feel empty. And we're made aware of that quest we have to find deep gladness. It's always present, yet seldom found. Light in the darkness, deep gladness unbound. We can relate to the Grinch, can't we? He thinks that it comes in, uh, you know, something that's filled with uh, tags and ribbons, but it's not in boxes and packages and bags. It's, it's found in something more. And what is that more? Well, the beauty of the Advent season, it gives us a chance to orient around what that something more is. Uh, we're going to be hanging out in Luke chapter 2 uh, this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 2 is probably the most famous Christmas passage uh, it's the passage that if you read uh, to your family on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, if that was a part of your tradition going up, growing up, that you probably heard from these words. Uh, they're the words, by the way, that Chris Pratt read in Disneyland the first weekend of December. Uh, two years ago, the guy who plays Thor, I forget his name, he read these in Disneyland um, to start off the Christmas season. They anchor our Christmas season, and they're the place where the secret to joy is found. They're the words that Linus shares with Charlie Brown when he so famously says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. The way Luke sets up the words, we're going to be focusing on verses 8 through 18 this morning, but he, he sets up things by telling us how Mary and Joseph, the humble carpenter, the, the, um, the woman ready to give birth, make their way to Bethlehem from Nazareth. And once the baby's born and the humble beginnings that uh, Dean uh, spoke of a moment ago, we have this with the shepherds, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I think I would be too. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. What's interesting about these words is that there's literally this picture uh, in the original language of the heavens opening up. And not only do these shepherds now see one angel of the Lord, the glory of God shining around them, they see the host of heaven's armies with the angels around them. 
when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. It's within these short verses, 8 through 18, that you and I find the joy that our hearts desperately long for. And I want to show you where it's at. Go back to verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Uh, The scene, I think, is beautiful. You have shepherds uh, in the hills outside Bethlehem. Bethlehem is full of people coming in for the census. As the candles are extinguished, the lanterns go out in Bethlehem. The dark canopy of the cosmos unveils itself, stars poking through and twinkling. Uh, The shepherds' eyes adjust, pupils dilate. Uh, They start deciding who's going to take the first watch of the night. And then the most unanticipated of guests arrives. Again, in the darkness, eyes adjusted. Then suddenly, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. This idea of the glory of the Lord is is pretty spectacular. In Exodus chapter 33, um, Moses asks God if he can see his glory. Uh, He says, will you show me your glory? And God tells him, listen, no one can look on my glory and live. His radiance was, was so outstanding. His radiance was so intense that no one can look upon him and live. And so he actually tells Moses, actually, you go hide in the cleft of this rock And then I'll pass before you, and you can only look at my backside. And even as he looks at his backside, God's glory is so incredible that it changes the countenance of Moses. He comes down from having met Moses. Moses comes down having met God, and his face is glowing red. It's like he has this this holy sunburn. So the glory of God has that type of effect on someone. And here the glory of the light shines around this angel. It's this glory-filled light that causes them to fall just flat on the ground. It's what we see when Luke tells us about Saul on the road to Damascus. And he sees the light that shines forth. It's Jesus in the light. And it terrifies him. And I think we can sympathize, empathize with these shepherds, can't we? Because if an angel of the Lord appears to me in the darkness of night, the absolute compelling glory of God, then then I'm probably going to fall on my face in fear too. But the angels aren't looking to cause fear. The angel's looking to bring joy. Verse 10, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So to these terrified shepherds, the angel speaks. He says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. I bring you news that will bring deep-seated gladness. I bring you news of, of that which is always present but seldom found, light in the darkness Deep godness unbound. I bring you good news of great joy. How did this good news cause great joy? 
you asked yourself that? Well, what was the good news? The good news was this, simply that a Savior had been born to them, and he was the Messiah, the Lord. And that phrase tells us all we need to know. Here are these shepherds, um, Jewish people. They knew as well as their peers that God had been silent for the last 400 years. They were a people who had the promises of Abraham. We've talked about those over the last few weeks. The promises that God would bless the world through them. That they would have this, 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 this place to reside in the promised land. They heard all those promises, but what had the last several hundred years of their life been? Oppression by Assyria, oppression by Babylon, oppression by Persia, and then the Greco-Roman empires. That's all that they had known. And so here is God who's, 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 who's said, that I'm going to bless the world through you, I'm going to give you an incredible inheritance, and yet all they'd known is oppression. And yet there were these words throughout the Old Testament throughout their favorite prophets like Isaiah that spoke of a coming Messiah who would come and to rescue and restore and save, who would make things right between them and God again. They knew that their oppression came because of their sin and there was one who would make it right. And so when an angel appears and he says, listen, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord has been born, that was incredible news for great joy because now they knew that their current circumstances would not prevail eternally. That even though Herod still sat on the throne in Judea and even though Caesar sat on the throne in Rome, that that would not persist forever, that God was working out his salvation that hope was on the horizon and that gave way to this deep gladness inside of them. It's the same gladness that it can stir up in us. The angel says that this is joy for all people. I love that phrase. And what we read is actually bearing witness to that this is joy for all people. Shepherds were among some of the most humble, hardworking, forgotten people in Palestine in this day. In fact, some of the most religiously elite um, scorned them. They shunned them because they were with animals all the time. They couldn't keep up with the ritual purity laws of Israel. And so they were kind of forgotten and cast off and pushed away. And yet, who is it that God appears to, to speak to for the very first time in 400 years? Humble, hardworking shepherds. It speaks to how this is good news of great joy for all people. I would submit to you that it's still incredible news of great joy for all people. That word all means all. It doesn't just mean shepherds in Palestine or pious priests in the temple. It means people from all generations, whether you are elementary aged or you're a teenager, maybe you're middle aged, or maybe you're in your twilight years. It's good news for you. It's good news whether you are able or disabled. It's good news for you uh, no matter what race or ethnicity you come from, no matter the color of your skin, no matter what happens in the kaleidoscope of humanity. This is good news for you. It's good news whether you're rich or poor, no matter what social class you come from, no matter what neighborhood you live in. This is good news for all people that causes great joy. How does it cause great joy for you? Well, you and I, like the shepherds, are in need of a Savior. We know from Scripture that we all have sinned, We've all fallen short of God's design and God's glorious standard. And that sin has led to a whole lot of brokenness that you and I experience on a daily basis, hasn't it? Brokenness that leads to relationships that break our hearts. Brokenness that's, that's seen in disease and affliction. Brokenness that's tasted in things like depression and anxiety and PTSD. 
Our world is suffering the effects of sin, even if it's not something we ourselves have done. Maybe it's something someone has done to us. And we're in need of a rescuer. We're in need of, of knowing and understanding that what we're experiencing today will not prevail for eternity. And that Jesus came, that the Savior came, that's for us to know that, that those things don't prevail forever. That our suffering will someday cease. That if you're a victim, you'll soon be vindicated. That, that God is working out his amazing story in spite of your circumstances. And that's news that brings incredible joy. A deep-seated gladness. When, when you trust that God has come for you, when you believe in his incredible promises and what he's done in Jesus, it unlocks joy for you. Have you ever noticed that a road trip, um, how much you enjoy it is dictated by who's on the journey with you? You can go on a cruise, you can go on a trip, uh, you can go on a drive, and if you have grumblers and complainers and annoying people and, and people arguing in your car or on the cruise with you, you will look back no matter what the scenery you've seen, no matter the adventures that you've had, and you will be like, that kind of stunk. But have you also noticed that if you have the right people on the journey, there can be unplanned detours unexpected misadventures, sometimes even tragedy, horrible weather, and you can look back and you can say, wow, this has been an incredible trip. It's all about who's riding shotgun, right? And because of Jesus, joy can ride shotgun with you. Because when despair comes, you know that no matter how crushing, I'm not saying that despair doesn't happen, that suffering, but no matter how crushing the weight of that despair, no matter how crushing that suffering, you know that in the end it can't prevail. No matter, no matter how hard the circumstances, you know that because God has come, because Jesus has saved, that there will come a day, we're waiting a second coming, when God makes all things new, and you can live in the presence with this deep-seated gladness that can't be extinguished because of a Savior. Those angels are proclaiming good news of great joy, not only for the shepherds, but for you and for me. And so the question I have for you this morning, what separates you from joy? It depends on which side of the manger you're on. I heard a story of a woman, a single mother, who was frantically trying to get things decorated for Christmas. It was the day after Thanksgiving. She was worn out. Uh, from, from a day of preparations and traveling to see family. And her five-year-old daughter and seven-year-old son were just, Mom, we got to decorate. We got to decorate. Let's get the tree out. And so she's back and forth to the garage, dragging these boxes in in her tired frame. And you know five and, and seven-year-olds, they couldn't wait. And so they start digging into the boxes. There are pieces of the tree over here and, and tinsel just kind of all over the floor, there are hooks that she's dodging and sometimes stepping on from the ornaments that, that, that should have been left in the box. There's, there's tissue, tissue paper on the floor like drifts. But it all kind of comes to a halt when those kids find the box with the nativity in it. And the five and the seven-year-old starts digging into the box and they're, they're pulling out animals. There's, uh, there's a camel and there, there's a pig, there's a cow. It's like a Scottish terrier, like how that got in the Christmas scene, we don't know. Um, they're pulling out Mary and Joseph, and then they pull out this porcelain manger, and, and the five-year-old girl's searching through the box to find the baby Jesus. And, and once they get all the things out, then, it, then, then the debate begins, like, how are we going to build the nativity? Well, the seven-year-old son quickly realizes that 
because she's a girl and because she's five, she gets to put baby Jesus in the manger, like debate over. But what he wouldn't concede is which side of the manger things went on. He thought Joseph should go here and Mary should go there and the wise men over here and the shepherds over there. And his five-year-old sister was like, no, 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 Mary goes here and Joseph stands behind her and, and the wise men are over here. They're, they're further away and they debated and they debated and they debated which side of the manger. And for us, that may sound like a really silly debate, which side of the manger. That is if we're putting together a nativity on our mantle or on a coffee table. But if we're talking about you and me, that's a really important question. Which side of the manger are you on? In this early account of Jesus' life, we have people on one side of the manger. The shepherds early in the account are on one side of the manger. They, they've never experienced the fullness of joy. They're waiting and waiting for rescue and for a savior. But then we have the shepherds at the end of the account who have seen the child and they've experienced the joy and they know that salvation has come and, and fullness of joy is present within them. And so which side of the manger are you on? Do you join the shepherds early in the story? Do you simply find yourself this morning, Christmas 2018, wondering where deep-seated gladness is found? Do you find yourself searching for light in your darkness? Do you find yourself wondering where the hope in this world is? Or do you find yourself on the other side of the manger? Looking at the manger not simply as a feeding trough, but as the birthplace of the Savior who would live on the earth, who would go to the cross, who would rise again from the tomb. See, the shepherds later in the story, they're on that side of the manger. Which side of the manger are you on? If you find yourself this morning searching, you've never expressed a confident hope and faith in Jesus. Then what I would encourage you to do is to look to this Jesus who came as your source of never-ending, incredible joy. How do you experience it? It's really quite simple. We believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. We confess him as being the ruler and the leader of our lives. We then enter into his life in faith and baptism. He fills us with his spirit, and we find ourselves on the other side of the manger. If that's you, there's no better way to begin than today. It starts by simply a conversation of faith you have with God. If you're ready to take that step, here's what I'd encourage you to do is after our closing song, by the way, it's he has come for us. When you realize he has come for you after that closing song, I'll be up front. Uh, some of our other leaders will be up front. We can have that conversation that leads potentially to you being baptized even today. Maybe you're just curious, but would you come up and start that conversation? Would you turn to the person who, who brought you, who, who has a living relationship with Jesus and, and ask them about what he's done for them? Here, here's what I love about the shepherds. When they hear about this Jesus, look at what they do, verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They said, let's go. Let's go see. Let's go experience this ourselves. And so they go, and look what happens. They hurry off, and they find Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they saw him, it changed everything. Maybe today's the day you hurry off to see who this Jesus is. And if you already know this Jesus, if you already find yourself on this side of the manger, 
you see the manger in light of the cross, in light of the empty tomb, then, then we need to be encouraged by the shepherds as well. Verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. These men had experienced the joy that everyone is looking for, and they couldn't contain it. If you are a follower of Jesus in this room, we've got a week and a day left till Christmas. Would you take advantage of opportunities with your coworkers, with your neighbors, to help them see the real joy that's found in Jesus? May joy, while it's always present, be ever found in you. May it be light in your darkness, deep gladness unbound. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the chance to, to share your word and your story with, with people that matter so much to you. And Father, I pray that you would use your word to draw people into your deep gladness and your joy. God, would you draw us into your life Teach us your ways. Show us um, your goodness. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.